You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Psalms, if you would. We're going to be in Psalm 106 this morning. The book of Psalms is probably one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. Uh, there's so much good stuff there. Uh, I want to encourage you, just make a mental note, or maybe you want to write down in the front of your Bible. Uh, when you're going through difficult times, your go-to book in the Bible should be the book of Psalms. I think most Christians or most folks who've been in church for a while know that when you go through difficult times, you should read the Bible. You should pray. You should spend time with God. Uh, But unfortunately, many times Christians don't know where to go in the Bible to find help. Uh, And they they know they're supposed to read the Bible, so maybe they'll start in the book of Genesis or they'll start in the book of Matthew or something like that. And, And please understand, you can never go wrong reading the Bible. The Bible tells us that the whole thing cover to cover is good for us. But uh, in times of difficulty, times of trial, times of uncertainty, the book of Psalms is always a go-to. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never read through the book of Psalms, I'd encourage you to read through it. If you read five Psalms a day, you can read through the entire book of Psalms in a month. There's 150 of them. Uh, The book of Psalms is a book of poetry. Uh, It was also a song book uh, for the uh, early believers. They would actually uh, take these uh, Psalms and actually sing them together together. individually uh, and congregationally when they gather together for worship. And so it's just a solid, solid book of the Bible. What you'll find is you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms. Whatever you're going through in life, there's a psalm that deals specifically with that, I guarantee you. Uh, And that's why I highly encourage you to become a student of the book of Psalms. Today we find ourselves in Psalm 106. Uh, Once a year, uh, we pull over to the side of the road and we talk about the importance of life and the sanctity of human life and how all life is important uh, to God. God is the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. And when the time comes, God is the uh, the taker of life as well. But life and death are in the hands of God and God alone. And it's important that we understand that. And so uh, it's uh, just kind of the way it fell on our preaching calendar this year. The last two weeks, we we took a look at what the Bible says about alcohol. And today we're taking a look at what the Bible says about abortion. Uh, Next week, we're getting into uh, the spirit-filled life. We're going back to Ephesians chapter 5 and talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so I encourage you uh, to be here next Sunday for that, and uh, I'm really excited about that. But today, it's really important that we stop for a second and, and see what the Bible says about life. Uh, and it's important to understand uh, what the Bible says and what it doesn't say. It's important to understand what our society deems appropriate and what the, how that uh, sometimes goes with and sometimes conflicts with what the Bible has to say. Uh, that's where we find ourselves today. Psalm 106, we're going to start in verse number uh, 34. Now, the children of Israel were commanded to go into the promised land, and basically uh, anyone who was there, they were supposed to overthrow and kick out of the nation. Uh, God had promised them this land, and God says, I want you to go in, make war with them. I promise you that you'll win, and everybody that's there has to go. This is your land that is for you alone. And the children of Israel did about half that. God gave them parameters for what they should go and claim. They only claimed probably a small percentage of what God had told them to get. Uh, God told them to get rid of everybody who was there. They didn't do that. They actually made friends with them. Uh, and that caused uh, problems. We can see a lot of similarities in our society today, how God has called Christians to be distinctly different, uh, but how many Christians still try to blend in with the world. Uh, God has said for Christians we should stand apart uh, to point people to Christ, but many times we're, we want to mingle in with the world and look like them and appear like them. And there's a lot of similarities that we can draw from this passage here. Psalm 106, uh, verse number 34, it says, They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, 
but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. So God says, hey guys, I'm giving you this land. It's yours. Kick everybody out. You're gonna be distinctly different. This will be my nation. These will be my people. And you will set an example from here forward what God's people look like. And the Bible says they didn't do that. They didn't kick them out, but they ended up making friends with them and mingled with them and took upon their practices and adopted uh, the way that they lived their lives. Verse number 36, and they served their idols, which were a snare. That word snare means a trap unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Bible uses really strong language when we depart from what God tells us to do. Uh, you find over and over this phrase uh, that God uses to describe the children of Israel when they depart from the relationship that they had with God and went after this world. Uh, it's really strong language. The Bible calls them whores. They went a-whoring after other gods. They sold out their purity. They took the love relationship that they had with God and they sold it out to fornicate with the world. That's really heavy charges there. But that's what happens when you and I depart from biblical wisdom and go towards the wisdom of this world. When Christians no longer want to be distinctly God's people, we want to be popular with the world. We want to adopt the world's lifestyle. The Bible says we've sold out our purity and we become whores to our society. Heavy stuff, heavy language. Now, mind you, this type of uh, preaching is not popular in the society that we live in today. Uh, to say that you are a whore when you adopt the world standard of, of, of living, uh, just it doesn't make the uh, six o'clock news in a positive way. Let me just say that, right? It's not the type of things that people say, oh, you should totally listen to my pastor's podcast. He talked about being a whore to the world this, this week. I think it'd be an encouragement to you. But here's the thing, at the end of the day, we have to say, what does the Bible say? What does God command for us? What does God expect from us? We live in a world of outrage today. Everybody is mad about something. It, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, about uh, six months ago, everybody got really mad at straws. Like you can't have a, a plastic drinking straw. It's, it's terrible, it's of the devil, it, it hurts people, it's, it, they're, they're filling up landfills, plastic straws are, uh, and, and everybody now uh, wants to keep you from having a straw. So now you go to a restaurant and you have to ask for a straw. Uh, we went to a restaurant yesterday and they gave us, I don't know if you've seen these, the biodegradable paper straws that stick to your lips and they fall apart and as you drink it, they bend in half and then they start to leak in the middle and stuff like that. No lie. At dinner, we had to ask for three separate straws to replace the one straw that we would have had had it been plastic, right? So now we're saving plastic, but we're using more paper to do that. It's just like, this doesn't make sense. Uh, my wife came home with what looked like a Starbucks sippy cup one day. And I thought, what is this? And she said, they're trying to do away with plastic drinking straws. And so they made, it looks like a sippy cup lid for grownups where they drink their Starbucks drink through that. And I said, this is the dumbest thing in the world. And you look at it and it's like, how much plastic went into making in a grown-up sippy cup for people, right? It's just, but the outrage over it, it's over the top. Man, anything else in the world you want to get mad at, you can find a group of people on the internet who are also mad about it, right? Um, no matter what it is. Uh, and so uh, there was an outrage last week over electric vehicles on the island and how they're uh, taking up parking spaces and they're taking away tax dollars for parking money and they're, uh, everybody's parking their electric cars at the airport and things like that. And it's like, hey, look, if we didn't have 5,000 electric cars at the airport, people would be mad because of fossil fuels and, and uh, the, the smog that's going to take over Hawaii. And so you can't win with people. 
Everybody wants to be mad about something. I say that to say this. We cannot be the church that's mad about everything, okay? We just can't. I know I took two weeks and talked about what the Bible says about alcohol. I'm not mad about it. Uh, This is not our new soapbox that we're gonna get on. This is not what we're gonna be known about. Uh, Today we're taking a look at what the Bible says about human life and how human life is so incredibly important. This is not our soapbox. This is not our big thing that we're gonna get fired up about. This is not our latest outrage of the week kind of thing Uh, because we're not the church that's gonna be known for what we're against. We're gonna be the church that's known what we're for. We're for people, we're for the gospel, we're for God's word, and we're for holiness amongst God's people. That's really important. Today's message uh, hits home for some folks. Uh, Some folks have been touched in one way or another by abortion. Some folks have been encouraged to get abortions and they chose not to, they chose life instead. Some people got in a difficult position and they didn't know any better, maybe due to outside pressure or what they thought would happen, uh, actually had an abortion. I say this, this morning to you, this is not a message of condemnation. I do not have the right to condemn anyone for their sin or anything that you've done wrong. And so if you're here today and you feel immediate sense of guilt when I bring up the topic, please give that guilt to Jesus because he took it to the cross for you. There's no judgment here. Honestly, I don't care what happened 10 years ago, honestly, I don't care what happened 10 minutes ago. God is not so greatly concerned with the failures of your past. He's greatly concerned with the focus of your future. That's the big deal here. So again, we're not here today to heap guilt onto anyone or to cause anyone to feel shame. There's nothing but grace found in Jesus Christ. And regardless of any mistake that you've ever made in your entire life, and again, my mistakes are are paramount. They're huge. They're massive for me. I I can't even begin to name the ways that I failed just in the last 30 days. The good news is, is God's grace is sufficient for all of our failures. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive you of your sin, regardless of what it is. Your sin is no greater than mine. Mine is no greater than yours. Uh, The Bible says that sin is sin in God's book. The Bible says, if any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. So if you've ever told a lie, you're on the same moral standing as a convicted killer in God's eyes because sin has come upon all of us. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Because of our sin, the Bible says we'll have to pay for that one day. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because of my sin, I will die one day and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what I deserve. And you deserve, because of your sin, to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. That's God's righteous judgment. God had a law, you broke it. The consequences of you breaking God's law is death. Not only physical death, but a spiritual, eternal death after you die and leave planet Earth in a place called hell. It's the worst news anybody could ever get. You're gonna go to hell because you've sinned. But God loves you too much to allow you to go to hell unloved and another opportunity given to you. And the Bible says that God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus came and died in your place. Jesus Christ died for sinners. And if you're a sinner, and you are, Jesus died for you and he died in your place. The Bible says if we would believe that Jesus Christ has died in our place, and have faith in him, and turn from our sin, that we can be saved. With the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sin, I turn from my sin, and I turn to Christ, the Bible says I can be saved. And friend, the only way that you can go to heaven is by being saved 
Jesus says in John 14, 6, no, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. Jesus says in John chapter three, verse number three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You must be saved by Jesus to go to heaven. It's the only way. And the only way that you can have your sin forgiven and any wrong that you've ever done made right is by what Jesus has done for you. It's the forgiveness that only Jesus can provide. So if you've made mistakes, let me just say this, you're in really good company today because you're in a room full of people who've made a ridiculous amount of mistakes. If you have sinned against God, you are sitting this morning in a room full of people who have sinned against God. And sin is not that one thing that I did one time when I was in college that I'm not proud of. Sin is the thing that I did yesterday that I'm not proud of. Sin is part of our DNA. It's woven into who we are. We'll never be without sin until the day that we see Jesus Christ face to face. But I can be forgiven of my sin. And the only place you can find forgiveness is in Jesus Christ really important that we grasp that concept. Now, when it comes to mistakes that we've made, when it comes to uh, things that were done to us, it's important to understand that we serve a God who is sovereign. God is sovereign. The idea of God's sovereignty is that God possesses all power and he is the ruler over all things. And that even when things happen that appear to oppose God's rule, God still has a plan in place. I don't know if you've ever had somebody ask you the question, well, if God is such a loving God, why does he allow suffering? If God's a God of love, why do we have terrorist attacks? Why do we have mass shootings? Why do we have things like September 11th? How do things like this happen if God is a loving God? And the answer is God is a loving God, but man is a sinful man. It's not God's fault that these things happen. It's the sin of man's heart that causes these things to happen. People have asked the question before, I've, I've, I was sexually assaulted. Why would God allow something like that to happen to me? The problem was not God's allowing it to happen. The problem was the sin of man's heart. And for every person who's been the victim of sexual assault, I want to tell you, I'm sorry that you've experienced that. And the only hope that you have of healing in your life comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm telling you this, it's the answer. If you need to talk to somebody, please let me know. I'd be happy to put you in touch with somebody that could talk with you about that. If you need books or resources that, that you could read, I highly encourage you to read that. I've read probably a half dozen books on, on sexual assault. I've never been a victim of sexual assault, but I want to know so that I can help other people better. And I think it's something that, that in the day and age in which we live, everyone should know how to point people to Christ through the difficulties that they face in life. But the thing is, no matter what's happened to you or no matter what you've done in life, failure is not final because God is sovereign. God can take difficult circumstances and turn them for his good. My, um, my mom grew up in a home of an alcoholic. Her father was abusive to her and to all of his other wives. He, uh, my, my pap was married seven times to six different women. He found one, one woman that was, was foolish enough to marry him twice. Uh, and he made an a wreck of his entire life. He was a terrible human being. I shared the gospel with him when the one time in my entire life that I saw him sober, I shared the gospel with him, and he mocked, blasphemed the name of Christ in my face. Terrible, terrible excuse for a human being. But one of the women that he married when my mom was probably about 13 or 14 years old was a, a good Christian woman. She had this idea in her mind that she could turn him around and she could fix him and, uh, and she could... Uh, make good of this really bad situation. She couldn't. But one of the things she did do is she took my mom 
and my, my aunt and uncle to church. And she taught them the Bible, and she loved them like Christ. And as a result of that, my mom ended up meeting my dad at church. My mom got saved, and my mom and dad began dating, and then they got married. And so we look at a situation like a teenage girl who was abused by an alcoholic father. Why would God allow that to happen? We won't really know until we see how the whole thing plays out. Had that not happened, my mom not grown up in a home like that, my mom would have never gotten saved, would have never met my dad. I would have never existed. If I had never existed, this church wouldn't exist, and you wouldn't be sitting here this morning. It's difficult to trace back things like that when they happen at the time. I was talking with a friend this past week, and he said, uh, 20 years ago this week, um, I uh, was at the Air Force Academy, and he said, I got accepted into Harvard Business School for my postgraduate study from the Air Force Academy. He said, I was overjoyed I had an acceptance letter. But then they told us out of our class of the, the five people that were selected, only three were gonna make it to actually go to Harvard. And he said, I was one of the two that didn't get selected. He said, I was so disappointed at the time. He said, so I ended up applying to University of Hawaii at Manoa for, for uh, graduate school, got accepted there, uh, and came to Hawaii. He came to Hawaii and he met his future wife here. He ended up failing out of grad school at UH and being uh, sent out in the Air Force to, to another place uh, and actually ended up being a really good thing. He said, 20 years ago, I couldn't have comprehended not being able to go to the school that I wanted to, but now I'm so thankful that it didn't happen. God's sovereignty is one of those things that does not make sense in the moment, but we look 15, 20, 30 years down the road and we can see God's hand in everything. And so I want to encourage you today, regardless of what's happened to you or regardless of what you have done, God is sovereign. He knows what's going on. He's in charge of everything. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. Isaiah 46.10 is in your notes there, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So God is sovereign. But secondly, when you look at this idea of how important life is to God, Jesus is the giver of all life. The Bible tells us in John chapter one, verse number one, in the beginning was the word, the word being Jesus Christ. If you look in your notes, or if you look in John one, that's why the word is capitalized W, uh, because it's speaking of Jesus Christ. And the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. So we see that Jesus was there at creation. Again, this is important because Jesus himself is God. We call this doctrine the deity of Christ. And again, just as an aside, anyone who claims that Jesus Christ was not God is a false teacher. It's a really good way to spot a false teacher. What do they say about Jesus? He was a good man, but he wasn't God. <clears throat> Wrong answer, false teacher. Uh, he was a good man, but he was just a prophet. <clears throat> Wrong answer, false teacher. Who is Jesus? Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, and he was at creation, and he created all things, according to John chapter number one. That's why life is so important to God, because God is the giver of life, and man is created in the image of God. As a very creation story, we find in Genesis chapter one, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. It's interesting, again, we see in Genesis chapter one here, the very first uh, chapter of the entire Bible. God says, let us make man in our image. God's speaking in the plural sense here. And, and we as Bible-believing Christians would say, this is where God points to the Trinity in Genesis chapter number one. He's speaking to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are saying together, let us make man in our image. 
again, false teachers would say he's talking about the angels there, but you and I are not made in the image of angels. We're made in the image of God. And because we're created in the image of God and we are a representation of God, all life is important to God. It's really important to understand that. In the Bible's view and really in any honest scientist's view, life begins at conception. The moment that a, a child is conceived in the womb, that is life. Psalm 139, verse number 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. Again, in God's opinion, a baby does not uh, become a baby. A life does not become a life when it exits the womb. Again, politicians and, and, and scientists and, and uh, abortion activists would say it only becomes a life after it's out of the womb. Uh, we would say that, that that doesn't hold any ground scientifically or biblically either. Life begins at the moment of conception. Therefore, all life is precious. Therefore, we must do everything in our power to protect life. Paul even speaks in Galatians chapter one, verse number 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, he says, I was in my mother's womb and God already had a plan for my life. I'm thankful for the ladies that we have in our church right now that are, are carrying children inside of them. God has a plan for that child's life. Every single life was given by God and God has a plan for it. I'm thankful that even the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services their mission statement says that they accomplish their mission through programs and initiatives that cover a wide spectrum of activities, serving and protecting Americans at every stage of life beginning at conception. So even our United States government, Department of Health and Human Services, recognize at the moment of conception, life is life. At the eight-week point, all organs are present, brains is functioning, heart is pumping, liver is making blood cells, kidneys cleaning the fluids, and fingerprints are formed at just eight weeks. And oftentimes, many abortions will take place after the eighth week, after uh, 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 all of these things have already begun forming. It's not tissue, it's a life, it's not a fetus, it's a child. We need to understand as well as that willfully taking life is murder and it's an attack on the image of God. That's why this is such a big deal for Bible-believing Christians. Because to take a life is considered murder. And again, people would say, oh, you're just trying to be sensational saying that abortion is murder. No, I believe God's word says that taking life is murder. It's our responsibility as Christians to protect life. Statistics tell us that in the United States, about half of all pregnancies are unintended pregnancies. Of unintended pregnancies, four out of 10 of those are aborted. 40% of unintended pregnancies end in abortion. 21% of all pregnancies, that makes 21% of all pregnancies end in abortion. The only statistics we have that are reported by the government come from 2015. And these were, again, were self-reporting. A total of six 138,000 abortions took place in the United States. 638,000 abortions in one year. And there were four regions that did not report in that report, and that was California, Maryland, and New Hampshire. And if you know anything about California, they had a really good share of abortions that year, I guarantee you that. But we as Americans see this as normal activity, and, and really it only comes up around election time when people want to get votes 
and something that we don't talk about enough and don't pray against enough. In 2015, there were almost 2,000 abortions that took place in Hawaii. This was the, probably one of the most alarming statistics to me. In 2015, 79 children under the age of 18 received an abortion in Hawaii. 79 children took the life of their unborn child in the state of Hawaii. Here's something that's gonna blow your mind as well. Children under the age of 18 are not required to have parental consent to receive an abortion in the state of Hawaii either. My daughter, she's at school and she gets a headache and the school nurse wants to give her Tylenol. They have to call a parent and we have to give verbal authorization for my daughter to take Tylenol at school if she has a headache. I appreciate that. But did you know in the state of Hawaii, a 12-year-old could walk into an abortion clinic and receive an abortion? And if they don't have the money to pay for it, they can fill out all the paperwork there to get Medicare to pay for it. The Hawaii is one of the, the, the states in the United States that pays for tax-funded payer abortions for 14-year-old kids without any parental consent whatsoever. That's troubling to me. It's concerning for me. One of the things that probably hurts the most is the fact that the majority of the abortions in, an, in the state of Hawaii are performed really about three blocks away from here. And if we as Christians do not do our part to stand for life, no one else will. It's become a political issue in our society today. It's, it's considered bad manners to talk about, but we have to look at this because it's not a political issue, it's a biblical issue. Honestly, I really don't care who you vote for. I don't care if you consider yourself a, a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or Green Party or Libertarian or anything like that. Honestly, I don't care. The problems in our nation will not be fixed by political offices. Whoever gets elected as president in 2020 will not change the direction of America. And when we as Christians put our hope in politics and government to change, turn things around, we have misplaced hope. When we look at change in America, do we need it? Absolutely. Where will it happen? It will happen with Christians. It'll happen with you and I going back to what the Bible says. I think it's important that we are involved in writing our congressmen and our senators. I believe it's important that we vote uh, for people who uh, believe alongside Christian values and things like that. But at the end of the day, politics will not fix the problem that we have in our nation. It's a problem of the heart. The gospel fixes everything for sure. This is not a desire to rally you around a political candidate. I want to rally you around the word of God. I don't want to rally you around a government official. I want to rally you around the throne of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's about being a biblical Christian. You see, our worldview has to be shaped by the word of God, not the prevailing culture of the day. Unfortunately, Christians today see the Bible as an outdated book. Even Christians, oftentimes I'll talk with Christians and they'll say, well, the Bible was written so long ago. So many things have changed since the Bible was written. Here's the great thing about our God. God doesn't change. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. God's word doesn't change. It's forever settled in heaven, the Bible tells us. We cannot allow the prevailing wisdom of our society today to overrule God's authority as found in his word. We're a biblical church. We're a Bible-believing church. What God says ends the debate. I've heard people say before, God says it, I believe it, that settles it. You're, you're missing one critical ingredient. It doesn't matter whether you believe it's truth or not, it settles it. God said it, that settles it. It doesn't really matter if you believe it or not. 
we cannot allow what popular opinion is. We can't allow what I saw on Fox News or a study that was done last week to, to shift whether or not I believe that something is good or bad for the sake of society. I have to go back to say, what does the Bible say? And while the Bible doesn't expressly speak to every single situation that we come in today explicitly, there are biblical principles that guide us throughout everything that takes place in life. Again, we took a look at last week, you know, uh, if, if, if marijuana use becomes, recreational marijuana use becomes legal in the state of Hawaii, can Christians smoke marijuana? I believe the Bible is very clear that Christians should not do that. I can't point you to a verse that says, thou shalt not get high, uh, but I can point you to a dozen biblical principles that guide us as Christians to be distinctly different and use our life as an opportunity to point people to Christ. I can defend that all day long. You see, we live in a society today that revels in sin. It's not enough that people want to sin, it's that they want to make their sin public. I was talking with some guys uh, last week and I said, I, I hate the fact that I'm getting older. I don't hate, hate that I'm getting old. My wife, uh, the other day, I saw this old couple. They were probably in their 70s, and they were standing at the crosswalk, and he was all hunkered over, and he was holding her hand, and, and he walked over, and he pushed the button, and he stood there waiting for the crosswalk, for the thing to turn. And she looked at that, and she goes, that's so sweet. That's going to be us one day. And I said, absolutely not. I refuse to get old. I'm not going to do it. I said, when I'm, when I'm that age, I'm going to be in really good shape. I'm going to be super fit. I'm going to be standing up straight. Uh, I'm going to have a six-pack when I'm in my 80s. I said, Pastor, you don't have a six-pack in your 40s. I know I'm waiting a little while. I'm, I'm going to peak later. You know, I'm going I'm to peak when I'm like 75, right? Uh, but um, I said, I refuse to get old. But I, I was talking to these guys. I said, one of the things I hate about getting older is that you begin to say things like, well, when I was a kid or when I was coming up, you know, things were different back then. And I'm not all that old. Uh, I'm, I'm 41 years old. I'm a, I'm a really young pastor. That's a good place to say amen. I kind of paused for you to say amen. I'm actually a really young pastor. Thank you. All three of you, God bless you. But here's the thing. When I was a kid, again, I hate saying things like that. When I was a kid, when I was 15, 16 years old, and I was getting into trouble, we did everything in our power to cover up our sin. We did everything that we could possibly imagine to make sure that we did not get caught. If I wanted to borrow my dad's shotgun and go out and shoot road signs on back roads in Kentucky, I went to Walmart and I bought my own shotgun shell so I didn't have to use dad's because I didn't want to get caught. After I'd been shooting dad's shotgun, I went back and cleaned it, and I knew exactly how it faced in his gun cabinet so I could put it back so that I didn't get caught. Now, people post themselves shooting stuff on Instagram. Half hashtag shotgun Saturday. And it's just like, what on earth? You want to publicize your sin. You want to publicize your criminal acts that you do. And just for the record, it was against the law to shoot road signs, and I did it. I'm sorry. I've confessed to Jesus. I confess to you today. Let's just move on. Don't judge me for it, all right? <laughs> I did a lot of stupid stuff, but I always tried to cover up my sin. I didn't want people to know. Now we live in a society that celebrates sin. People want to put it on Instagram. People want to have YouTube videos. They want people to, to subscribe to their YouTube channel. I have to watch another video on the internet that says, hey guys, welcome to my YouTube channel. Be sure to click here to subscribe. It's just like, I just want to see how to change the brake pads on my car. Um, it's just, we live in a society where it's all about me and it's all about celebrating my sin. And if 
you go so far as to tell me what I'm doing is wrong, you're a bigot, you're a hate monger, you're trying to rule my life, you're trying to boss me around, and you just need to mind your own business. Now, mind you, the people who don't want judgment are the ones who are really quick to hand out judgment to people that don't agree with them. So it's not enough to live in a society that revels in sin. We want to celebrate our evil. We want to, to take this sin that should shame us. I'm ashamed that I live in a nation where it's okay to kill a child when it's, it's legally, when it's physically viable to be born outside the womb. You have a child that if, if was delivered via cesarean section would live today, but we choose to kill it because it's not convenient. I'm embarrassed that I live in a, in a, in a nation that says that's okay. I'm ashamed as a Christian that Christians aren't outraged about this. But we want to celebrate our evil. Our own choices don't determine right from wrong. Let me just say this. I am not the authority for right and wrong. You are not the authority for right and wrong. God's word is always, 100% of the time, the authority for right versus wrong all the time, every time. You see, if we want to have a child, then we celebrate that we've gotten pregnant and we have a gender reveal party and we uh, get a a blue balloon and a a pink balloon and we release one and and the other one falls and everybody uh, claps and we cut the cake and the cake's blue or it's pink on the inside if we want the child. If we don't want the child, it's a problem to have and we need to make an appointment to get it taken care of so I can go on with my life. Do we see the duplicity of that? If I want the child, I will celebrate it. If I don't want the child, it's a problem that I need to take care of. We can't have it both ways. We have to say that at the end of the day, God's word has to be right. It's amazing that 38 states in the United States have fetal homicide laws. That means if you kill a pregnant woman, that you're charged with double homicide for killing the child. How can we say if we commit the act in violence that it's murder, but if we commit the act in convenience, it's applauded. It just doesn't rationally even make sense. It's amazing that in the very same hospital we'll perform in uterine surgery to save a child's life while three doors down in another hospital room another child's life is being taken because it's not convenient. Can't have it both ways. Idolatry is just as prevalent in today's society as it was in biblical times. I was talking with a guy yesterday. He was like, tell, tell me about the, the, the idol of Baal. And Baal was a false god that they worshiped in the Old Testament. And the children of Israel, who were God followers, got sucked into Baal worship as well. Just another pagan god, another idol. Today, we don't have so many idols. We don't have uh, pagan gods that we bow down to. We don't have pagan deities that we call out their name and, and worship but you know what's interesting is idolatry is just as prevalent in our society today. Anything that we worship at the expense of God becomes an idol in our life. And this is true for Christians too. This is not just for uh, our unsaved society. When I begin to worry what other people will think about me, when I'm concerned about my own status more than I'm concerned about God's glory in my life, I have become my own idol. I have become the own God that I worship And while we no longer sacrifice to pagan idols, our nation sacrifices our children to the God of self. You take a look at Psalm 106 and you you think to yourself, the depths of the depravity that it would take for someone to sacrifice their children to a 
a pagan god. Whether it's a movie or a book that we read, that's kind of the depths of depravity that we can imagine, killing your own child to, to appease a pagan god. Child sacrifice is as bad as it gets. And as you read Psalm 106, you look at yourself and you go, oh, I believe that's God's way of saying this is how bad it's gotten. They sacrifice their own sons and daughters to these pagan gods. But in our society today, people are still making child sacrifice to the God of self. I'm the God. I deserve to be appeased. This is a problem for me. And I'm gonna sacrifice this child for what I want we look at Psalm 106, it says in verse number um, verse number 37, and they sacrificed their sons and daughters unto devils, and they shed innocent blood, even the sons of their bloods and daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. I have to say that the, our land is also polluted with the blood of children. Again, we don't like to think about it because it's not convenient, but when we talk about hundreds of thousands of children will die this year because of convenience, we can't just say that there's no blood on our hands. We're gonna talk about what we do as Christians and how we fix this in a moment, but I'm trying to rally around the idea here that we can't just stop and just say that this is not a big deal because it's a monumental deal. I really thought, as I watch the news, I don't like to watch a lot of news because it's 99% really negative. But as current events take place in our society, I begin to think to myself, this is the wake-up call that America needs that we will forever see the error of our ways. I won't go into great detail, but in 2011, Kermit Gosnell was uh, arrested for and charged with three counts of first-degree murder. If you have the stomach for it, you should Google and read, just read the grand jury report. I'm not talking about read some, some, some blogger's idea on what he did. Read the grand jury report. And I'm not trying to be graphic. And I'm not trying to be ugly. And I don't say this for shock value, but he would abort these children. And if they came out and they were still alive, he would take a pair of scissors and he'd cut their spinal cord. That's how disgusting this is. And I think to myself, when this so-called abortion doctor gets charged with this, our nation's gonna step back and go, whoa, we've way gone too far. This is just like as, as far as it goes. And there was massive outrage for about two or three weeks. When he got, came back in the news, he was actually convicted and he's actually in prison right now. And some people that worked for him went to prison as a result of it. You think to yourself, man, this is, this is the moment. This is the watershed moment where America says, we have, we're disgusting. It wasn't, it passed on. Similar incidents happened in 2015, an organization named the Center for Medical Progress. They released several videos that had been secretly recorded of Planned Parenthood employees brokering the sale of body parts of aborted children. They said, oh, we can do the procedure in such a way that we can keep the brain intact for you. And, and here's how much we'll charge for that. We can, keep, we can have a, a legitimate spinal cord in use for you. In this case here, this lady says, if we alter our process, we'll be able to get intact fetal cadavers that we can sell to you. And I thought to myself, we're brokering the body parts of children for sale and profit. This is it. America's gonna wake up and go, whoa, this is disgusting. And it wasn't one video, it was a half dozen. What ended up happening as a result of this? The people who actually filmed these actually were brought up on charges of illegal recording. And the news cycle passed and everybody moved on. Sure, there's still calls to defund Planned Parenthood, who's the largest abortion provider in the United States. 
but most, for the most part, these videos are, have been gone to the wayside and have become fodder for late night talk shows. Just this past January, New York passed a New York Reproductive Health Act, or RHA. This was celebrated because it now lifted the ban that uh, abortions could only be performed after 24 weeks. Mind you, 40 weeks is, is full term. At 24 weeks, the baby is fully viable, could be delivered via C-section, and could live. They're celebrating the fact that after 24 months, or, I'm sorry, 24 weeks, no longer does the mother's life have to be at risk. There's now an, another list of criteria that you can, can meet to actually have an abortion performed after 24 weeks. And the criteria for that is, is so vague to protect the patient's life or health that really they could give any reason that they wanted to after 24 weeks to perform uh, what we would call a late-term abortion. And another celebrated fact is you don't actually have to go to a doctor. You can actually have this procedure performed by a nurse practitioner or a licensed healthcare provider, no longer a doctor even. So now we can have more children killed with less red tape later in the process if we de deem that they're no longer valuable to us. As Governor Cuomo signed this, he actually uh, tweeted out this tweet. It's absolutely reprehensible. Reproductive Health Act is now New York State law. We lit the spire in pink to celebrate. Friend, if you don't see how troubling this is, that we have politicians who celebrate the murder of children by lighting up one trade center pink in celebration of victory, the blood of children has defiled our nation. And we sit back and celebrate it. And anyone who would say that this is a step backwards, anyone who would say that this is, is the legalization of murder automatically is a bigot, automatically begins to try to tell women what they can and can't do with their bodies, who's advocating for the children that don't want to die? Women should have rights over their own body, but who's calling for the rights of these children? These children have no rights. It's been said before that the most dangerous place for a child to be is in the, the womb of their mother. I believe that because hundreds of thousands of children every year are dying. I went to the Planned Parenthood website of uh, Honolulu, again, three blocks from here. You can sign up to make an appointment online on their website to have an abortion procedure performed. I, I can book an abortion easier than I can book a haircut. And I look at that and I'm, I'm disgusted by it. What, what are the drop-down options here? Abortion. What time do you want it? 2.50 on Wednesday. Great. Show up. If you don't have the money, fill out the paperwork. We'll get the state to pay for it. If you're underage, don't worry about it. You don't have to tell your parents. Things like this hurt my heart, and they hurt the heart of God. I told the story before. Our daughter, Tallulah, uh, she is 18 months old now. <laughs> She's amazing. She just found out this week how to talk to Alexa. Oh, my word. It's all over. It's all over. She's 18 months. No lie. She's 18 months old. She says, you know, uh, two, three dozen words. And one of her words now is Essa, Exa, Exa. It's like, stop it. She's trying to get her to turn on the TV. It's just like, good grief. Uh, but 18 months old. It's funny. All of her children are spaced out uh, by seven years. Tallulah and Makili have nine years between them. And people say, well, why did you guys wait so long? We, we just prayed for a long time, and that's just how God gave us our kids. Uh, we had... Um, we had Makili uh, in 2002, uh, and we prayed. Man, we prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give us another child, and it just didn't happen. And we continued to pray and continued to try and continued to trust God, and it never happened. And um, I remember Angel and I were sitting at um, 
the Starbucks in Coppola. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And this mom brings her daughter in. She's probably two years old. She's holding her hand, and uh, the daughter's got her sippy cup, and mom brings her in there to the Starbucks, and me and Angela are sitting there. Uh, we dropped our kids off at school for the day, and we see this girl come in. And I told Angela, I said, I have no regrets in my life, and honestly, when it's time to go, I've, I've, it's been a really good ride. I said, but if, if I had one regret, it's that we didn't have one more child. And she goes, you really feel that way? I go, I 100% feel that way. And she said, well, let's give it a shot. And so we did. Man, we, we continue to pray and pray and pray and pray. Uh, and uh, we got to the end, and we really believed that we were 100% done. We'd done everything we could in our power uh, to, to have another child, and it just didn't happen. And I told Angela, I said, I really want you to, to, to begin doing the research of what we need to do to get a home study to possibly either foster or adopt or something like that. I just want, I believe God wants us to have one more child. And she said, okay. And so we began to even start doing the research on what we needed to do to make that happen. Uh, and she said, you're never going to believe this. And I go, why? She said, I'm pregnant. I was just like, what? I mean, nine years we prayed for this. Nine years we prayed for this. I said, how sure are you? She was like, I took six tests. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> and so, I, and, I, and you know, me, again, I want to see the test, you know. And I'm looking at it. I was like, there's definitely two lines. It's not a faint line. That's a real deal line. Like, and so, uh, Man, it was it. Overjoyed. This was a Saturday afternoon, she tells me. I'm just like beside myself excited. The second, the second your doctor's office opens on Monday morning, I want you to call. She calls on Monday morning. Tells the person on the phone, need to make an appointment. I took a home pregnancy test. I'm pregnant. I need to talk to my doctor. And she said, okay. The lady says, let me get your information. Get your information. She said, do you want to keep it? The appointment? No, the child. What? That, that's the first question that you ask? And she was like, yeah. Okay, that's fine. You know, come on in at 9. So we go at 9 o'clock again. We're excited. We're overjoyed. She, they say, oh, go in there and take the test and come back. And the lady opens up the door really slowly, and she goes, hi, I got the results back. Kind of apprehensive. And she goes, you're pregnant. And we're just like, knew it. She said, so what do you want to do? About what? Well, do you want to keep it? What? You're the second person in 60 minutes that's asked us whether or not we want to keep our child that we prayed nine years for? Are you kidding me? I was just furious. But that's the first thought on the mind of the healthcare system. Oh, you're pregnant. Sorry about that. Do you want to keep it? It's troubling. You see, we've, defiled, we've been defiled with our own works. 75% of people said that a baby would interfere with their work, school, or other responsibilities. 75% of people who have abortions just said this, this child would get in my way. 75% of people say that they can't afford a child. Can't afford it. Oh, so if I have a five-year-old that I can't afford, do I get to kill it too? Is the only reason that we keep life because we can actually afford it or because it's convenient for us? Because I can tell you, having four kids, it's not always convenient to have kids. Let me just tell you that. But what, do I get to kill them if they're not convenient anymore? It just doesn't logically make sense. 50% of people say that they don't want to be a single parent or have a child with the partner that they're with. I think things like that are important questions to ask yourself before you become sexually involved in a relationship. Not a question I ask after I get pregnant. 4% of abortions take place because of the health of the mother. 3% because of the health of a child. This child is sick, he has some deformity. So again, do children 
with health problems not deserve to live? Or your child has Down syndrome and we want to give you all of your options. Oh, so my child is going to have an illness that God gave them and I have the option to, to kill them so that I don't have to deal with it? Doesn't make sense to me. 1% are the survivors of rape. And again, I think people look at this and they say, well, incest and rape, that might be a reason for that. I would again say that God is sovereign over all things. I can't tell people what to do. I can just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says God's sovereign over all things. I wouldn't judge anybody for, I, I don't judge anyone that's ever had an abortion for any of the 10 reasons listed here. I don't judge you for that. It's not my place to do. But I want to encourage you to seek God's mind and know that God is sovereign over all things and God can take terrible situations and turn them into really good, positive things. Question we have to ask ourselves, at what point is a person a person? Hey, look, if eight weeks old, a child has organs that are present, a brain functioning, I think we can call that person a person. Then we've got to ask ourselves, too, at what point is it permissible to take a life? At what point can we say, this is not convenient for me, so this child deserves to die? I don't think that we can ever make that case. And we as Christians are called to defend those who cannot defend themselves. Over and over again, God commands his church to love the, the, the widows, the fatherless, to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. There are thousands and thousands of couples in America that are praying for the opportunity to adopt a child, praying for an opportunity. For every child adopted in the United States, 36 parents are still waiting to adopt a child. One, one child adopted, 36 still waiting. I have friends who have spent tens of thousands of dollars to go to China to adopt children because they want a child so badly. I have a, a friend of mine who spent $50,000 to adopt a kid in the United States because they wanted a child so badly. But we can so flippantly say, well, I don't want it, so not important. Death statistics in America are flat out troubling. We took a look at last week, 384 people died by mass shootings last year. That's 384 too many. One is one too many. And again, I believe we need to look at how we can bring that number down to zero. <laughs> I read an interesting article this past week of how Hawaii is pushing an initiative uh, to have zero pedestrian deaths by like 2028. I thought to myself, oh, we want to wait 10 years for nobody to die in the crosswalk. Why don't we make the, our goal zero for next year? You know, so I'll make zero for the, next, the rest of the year. Because these are preventable deaths. Every single one of those 384 is preventable death. We need to figure out a way to prevent that. Because if we say we value life, all of those lives matter. Every single one of them. But then if we say that life matters, we need to be concerned about the 7,300 military veterans that took their own lives last year as well. It's funny that we won't have any uh, TV coverage on the 20 veterans that took their own life today. Six o'clock news won't say a word about those who came back that we didn't take care of, that we failed, that took their own life today. But I'm telling you this, somebody pulls out a gun in a post office, it'll be on the news for a couple of weeks and we'll be, have every politician talking about gun control. Who's gonna care about the soldiers, our veterans, those who put themselves in harm's way so that I can be free. I'm concerned about them too and we need to take all life seriously. We took a look at the last week, 10,874 people died by drunk diving deaths last year. All lives are important. Every single one of those 10,000 deaths was preventable. 
While we sat in church this morning, two people died by a drunk driver. Every single day. Every hour, two people die by the hands of a drunk driver. At some point, we gotta say, hey, this isn't acceptable anymore. But all of this pales in comparison to the 639,000 children that were aborted. Pales in comparison. And those are just the ones we know about. This is, this is with not everyone reporting. This is voluntary reporting. What do we do about this? Do we just hope that it gets better? Do we just gripe? Do we get mad? Do we get angry? Do we make signs and stand outside abortion clinics and yell at people and scream at them and, and tell them that they're going to hell? Do we do that? I think the answer to that is a definite no. So what do we do as Christians? First of all, we pray that God would end abortion in the United States. If Christians are not praying for this, nobody's going to. Prayer changes things, and this should be on your daily prayer list. You need to pray for the folks who are struggling with depression and thinking about committing suicide. You need to pray for those that are, are drunk drivers and those families that are affected by that. You need to pray that God would end abortion in America and that hundreds of thousands of kids would have the opportunity to live. It's estimated that since Roe versus Wade was passed in the 70s, 41 million children have been aborted. 41 million. We need to stand for the right of all people to live. I believe that assisted suicide is also against God's word, contrary to God's word. I don't believe that people are required to be artificially kept alive, but I don't believe we have the opportunity to take our life because we don't deem it valuable any longer. Every person has the right to live. Next, we need to encourage people to seek adoption. Again, every year we, we talk about this in some fashion or another. And one of the most encouraging things that ever happened was I had a, a lady who had talked to a coworker and she sent me a text and she said, hey, because of your message you preached on abortion a few months ago, I was talking with a coworker who just found out she was pregnant and she was thinking about abortion. And I encouraged her to have the baby or to seek adoption. And she said she decided to keep it. Win. I'm gonna call that a win. Some kid gets to live now because a Christian said, hey, don't do that. And let me just tell you this. If you or someone that you know has an unplanned pregnancy and you don't want the child, I'm telling you this, I could give you a name of a dozen families that would adopt it tomorrow afternoon. A dozen. No questions asked. Because life is valuable. Final thought, and this is where the rubber meets the road for us. We want to support Christian-based pregnancy crisis centers. There's an amazing place uh, in Milani called A Place for Women. Uh, it is a Christian-based organization uh, that we have helped support over the last several years. Ladies who come into here, they give uh, free uh, pregnancy tests. They have an ultrasound room where they allow these ladies to see what their child looks like. But every single person that comes in sits down in that room and they hear the gospel first. They hear about whatever mistakes you've made in your life. Jesus Christ is the hope and he can fix everything that you've messed up. And that's the, whether people choose life or not, they need to know that Jesus is the answer. And we wanna support folks like that that are taking the gospel and are working to save lives. They have doctors that actually are on volunteer staff there that come in that perform these ultrasounds that show these ladies, hey, look, this is what your baby looks like. They have little models that you can hold in your hand. This is your child at 12 weeks. This is how its fingers look. This is how its body's shaped. 
And while you might think it's just a little bit of tissue inside of you, this is your baby and it has a heartbeat right now. Do you wanna hear your heartbeat of your baby? They have speakers where they hook up the ultrasound machine, you can hear the heartbeat of your baby. And then they hear about Jesus and what he's done for them. Oh, folks, I believe that's one of the most noble ministries that we could be involved in. Hey, you and I might not ever have a chance to talk to somebody before they go and end, end a life. But these folks have trained counselors. They have a, a class for folks who have had abortions in the past that uh, are struggling with the uh, emotional fallout of that. They, have, they provide counseling for that, all free of charge to these ladies. Uh, and we have the opportunity to help support this. So every year on Mother's Day, we take a Mother's Day offering. And whatever we give on that day to the Mother's Day offering, we give to a place for women. Uh, in the past, over the last three years, I think we've given over $20,000 to help them continue this. They're a nonprofit. Uh, they're connected to a Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church. Uh, they're in, in uh, YPO. But I want us to get involved in this. So Mother's Day, we're going to receive an offering for a place for women to help them continue to fight for life here in the state of Hawaii. They also opposed uh, one of the bills that came up uh, last year, I believe it was, that required them, for anyone who came in that sought their services, to require them the alternative of places where they could find abortions. And they, they, they flat out refused to do that. When, when ladies came in, we're not going to tell them where they can go find an abortion at. And they opposed the law and ended up getting struck down in Hawaii. But they stand for life, and we want to stand alongside them and encourage them. So uh, I want to encourage you with that bottom line here today. Everybody deserves to live. We as Christians need to do our part. I don't believe that there's value in standing outside of abortion centers with signs and yelling at people when they go in. I, I, I've heard of people telling stories that they got scared and they decided not to go in and decided not to have it. I don't know that that's the most effective way that we as Christians get to show the love of Christ to people by yelling at them. But I do believe that we must do our part. We can't sit by and just say, well, I'm okay with this. It's not that big of a deal. Hopefully, the, the, whoever we elect president next time will, will get it squared away. I am encouraged by some state governments who have taken fetal heartbeat laws that basically have, have worked to try to end abortions after a heartbeat can be heard. And that's usually at about six weeks. Hey, it's not, a, not the full victory that we're looking for, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. New York, what they just passed, if at 38 weeks, you decide you don't want your kid. All you got to do is come up with a really good reason, and they'll take that life. So I want us to continue to pray and beg God that God would end this, pray for God's mercy upon our nation as a result of this, and do our part to encourage people to seek life. Most important thing in the entire world that I said today is that if you don't know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, Jesus Christ died for sinners, and he wants to save you today and forgive you of your sin. It's the most important message you'll ever hear in your entire life. But for those of us that are Christians, let's pray that our nation would do the right thing. And uh, next week, we'll move on. We're going to take a look at the Spirit-filled life next Sunday morning. I hope you're here for that. So